All right. Good morning. Good morning. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 8. We're going to be looking at verses 26 through 39. We've been looking over the last few weeks at Luke 8 as we're working our way through the Gospel of Luke. And Luke's focus in this chapter so far has been on the authority of Jesus and his word, his absolute authority. And we're urged as we've gone so far, uh, thus far, in chapter 8, we're urged to listen carefully to God, to be hearers of the word and doers of the word. My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it, Jesus says in verse 21. We're urged to listen carefully to the one who speaks and whose word calms the wind and calms the waves. And we're going to continue with that theme this morning as we look at his authority over the powers of Satan and over the powers of demons. Last week we looked at Jesus' authority over the physical and natural realm. This week we look at Jesus' authority over the spiritual realm. And so let's stand together. I'm going to read beginning with verse 26 all the way through to verse 39. Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Jesus then asked him, what is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter there. So he gave them permission Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him, but Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that we can come into your presence in the name of Jesus. And because of him, because of his sacrifice, because of his body that was broken and blood that was shed for us, we praise you. 
And we thank you for your word. Again, we come before it. And Lord, we don't want to come at this point in chapter 8, having forgotten what has been spoken already in chapter 8, that we are to be hearers of the word and doers of the word. And so please help us. Help us by your spirit, Lord. Help us to be a people who, like your word says in Isaiah 66, who tremble at your word, who come before you as good soil and take in the seed of the word into our hearts and allow it to produce a fruit in us. We know that's only possible by your spirit. And so please work among us this morning for your glory. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Well, this passage, verses 26 through 39, comes immediately following 22 through 25 chronologically. That's not always the way, as we talked about last week. That's not always how Luke writes. He tends to write more thematically um, rather than chronologically. But in this case, we can see that it's chronological. One day, verse 22, Jesus and the disciples got into a boat and they go across and circumstances happen on the lake. And then, verse 26, they get to the country of the Gerasenes. And so it seems to be one consecutive process taking place there. And I want us to imagine, okay, what it is like for these disciples as they're coming up on the land. Because we don't want to forget verses 22 through 25. What happened on the lake? What is it that happened when they were on the boat on the lake? This storm comes up on the lake and they are terrified. They think they're going to die. They're afraid because the water's coming into the boat. They're afraid because they think that it's going to tear the boat apart. And Jesus, in the midst of their terror, is sleeping in the boat. And so they think they're going to die while the Son of God is asleep in their boat. And so it says that they woke him up. And he woke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves. That's verse 24. And they ceased and there was calm instantly. And so now they're terrified again, but for better reasons. They're afraid because of Jesus, not because of the wind and the waves, because now this man has spoken and all is calm now. They've gone from thinking they're going to die to resting peacefully on the water, and they're terrified. They're afraid. They're in awe, and they say, who then is this that he commands even winds and water, and they obey him? And so this is the circumstance that's happened on the boat. And this boat finally makes it to land. They haven't forgotten this, right? They haven't forgotten what just happened on the water. They're still dealing with the fear and the questions that they've had on the boat. They are in awe of this man, Jesus. And then this boat gets to the water and they begin to depart the boat. And that's where we pick up here. It makes it to shore, verse 26. Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. So now they get out of this boat, and here comes this man who is demon-possessed towards the group of them. Luke records that the man was from the city. He had not worn clothes for a long time. He had not lived in a house, but among the tombs. And as we look at this man's life, we see that his life has been destroyed. He was a normal guy before. He lived in a home, used to live in a home, in the city, used to wear clothing. 
But something has changed. Something's drastically changed. And his life is a shell of what it used to be. He used to live among his friends, and now he lives among the tombs. Gerasenes was a region of tombs. And here he stands, lives among these tombs. We see in the text that the cause of this change in his life, this destruction of his life, is that he had demons, it says, meaning he was demon-possessed. Whenever you see in the scriptures specifically uh, or especially in the gospels and and acts when it talks about someone being demon-possessed, it's when demons would come in or a demon would come into their body and take over, would control their body, their mind, their voice. So this is a terrible, severe circumstance with this man. And his circumstance in particular is most severe. The town citizens we know have seen him as a nuisance. They've seen him as a threat, and so they've cast him out of the city. They would bind him. They would tie him up, trying to get rid of this nuisance, this man that probably brought much fear to them. Mark 5, verse 5 tells us that night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. So try to imagine this picture, these disciples, Jesus getting off of the boat, and this is what they see coming towards them. This man is what they encounter coming towards them. Verse 28 When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. Now, this is amazing. This is phenomenal. The picture we see here on the beach is incredible. And the authority of Jesus, the exaltation of Christ and who he is and how the demons respond to him is amazing. Whatever the demon's intention was in coming down to the boat, probably he's, they're thinking this is fresh prey. I mean, here's people coming off of the boat. Let's get them. Let's terrorize these people. They don't know Jesus is there. We see the response to Jesus. They don't realize. They're not all knowing. The demons are not all knowing. They don't know Jesus is on the boat. And we understand from their response that they don't know he's on the boat. Because when they recognize it's Jesus, they're terrified. If they had known it was Jesus, they would have fled away. They don't realize it's Jesus. But when they see him and when they recognize who this is, they fall before him. It's referring to the man, literally, he falls down before Jesus. We understand it's the demons that are causing this. They recognize Jesus. And so he cries out, this man cries out because of the demons. What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? This is in Incredible, because these demons know the answer to the question that the disciples are asking on the boat. On the boat, when the disciples see the power of Jesus as he calms the winds and the waves, they say, who then is this? And the demons declare, you are Jesus, son of the most high God. It's incredible. Not that's not worship. They're not, they're not revering him. They're not bowing down in submission so that they will worship him. They're afraid. We see that in their response. 
I beg you, I beg you. Notice how many times the word beg is in this text. I beg you, do not torment me. Now, what are the disciples thinking at this point? What is going through their hearts and minds? Who is this man? The winds and the waves obey him and the demons subject themselves to him, fall before him. Verse 29, he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. He's already at this point made that declaration for the demons to come out. He's commanded the spirit to come out of the man. And that's why this man is responding, I beg you, do not torment me. And the picture is Jesus' absolute authority. He has absolute authority here. He reigns. He reigns over all creation. He reigns over all the spiritual realm. He reigns. I beg you, the demons say. There's no debating. There's no debating between the demons and Jesus trying to, you know, well, we're going to do this, and what do you say? And it is no, There's no debating. It's just subjection. There's no resisting by the demons. The picture of Jesus' absolute reign over the demonic realm. This says there in verse 29, many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demons into the desert. That's the condition of this man. Guards, people would guard and watch and watch over him and keep sight of him and they would chain him using chains and, 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 and just kind of tying him together the best that they could. But this demon's power would come over him and he would break the chains and be free. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the terror that this would be on this city? This man... And yet, that same power falls at the feet of Jesus. Verse 30, Jesus then asked him, what is your name? What is your name? I love this. Let me ask you, what would your response be in this circumstance? Imagine being on a boat, going across the lake, getting to the other side, getting out of the boat and seeing this guy naked, beat up, cut up all over his body, screaming and coming towards you. Get back on the boat, right? That's our response, right? I mean, hurry up, get back on the boat, get back on the boat, get back on the boat, let's get out of here, right? Let's, this is not good. But what is Jesus' response? There's no fear. It's love, In the face of this, it's just love. He talks with the man. He cares about the man. He loves the man. What is your name? That is a phenomenal picture of just the incredible vast difference between Jesus and us. He's not afraid. He doesn't fear. He just loves. And so in the face of this, What is your name? As I meditated on the thought of Jesus and his love in the midst of this circumstance, I hope that grips your heart. 
that that same love that he would demonstrate to this man, he's demonstrated to you. God demonstrated his love for you. What is your name? His name, he said, was Legion. Now, Legion is not a proper name. It's a title. It's a reference. It refers to a unit of Roman soldiers. A legion could be as many as 6,000 soldiers. That's not to say that there were 6,000 demons, but there were many. And this man is in a terrible situation. Even that term legion gives us a picture. It denotes a, a battle. So here Jesus is taking on an army of demons at his word and there's no contest. They fall before him. They cry out before him. You are son of the most high God. He reigns. He reigns. He's victorious over all things. And so they beg him again, verse 31. They begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now this is incredible. They begged Jesus not to send them into the abyss. Revelation 9 talks about a bottomless pit. The abyss is a place where demons are held currently. Jude verse 6 refers to that. Demons uh, that God has kept under chains. And 2 Peter 2, 4 mentioning that same thing and tells us that they will be kept there under chains until the judgment. And the demons, we, we learn from this verse, they know that. They know of that place. They know of their end. There's no hope for them. They know there's no hope. Their only hope is now to terrorize the people of God and to cause as much destruction as they possibly can because they know what the end is for them. That Christ has conquered. He has overcome and they submit to that. These demons know that. Please, they beg him, don't send us into the abyss. What are they saying? They're acknowledging that Jesus has all authority to cast them there. They're pleading with him, knowing that that their eternal destiny lies in his hands and that at his word, at his word, they must go even to eternal suffering. Verses 32 and 33 continue. Now, a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter these, so he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. This is such an interesting part of the story, such an interesting turn of events here, right? It's this herd of pigs just hanging out on the hill, eating. And these demons who are begging for their lives are like, okay, there's, there's the pigs. Please let us go into the pigs. And he says, yes. Jesus gives them permission. That's incredible. He gave them permission. Jesus gives the permission for them to go into the pigs. That is incredibly significant and hopeful for any and all of us who are hidden in Christ. The, the demonic realm, the spiritual realm can do nothing, nothing without the express permission of the Lord God Almighty. 
You think of that in Job, as Satan comes to give an account to the Lord, right? And, and, and he asks permission to, to sift Job. And God gives him the permission. He can do nothing without God's permission. And so the demons come out of the man at the permission of the Lord and they enter the pigs and then what happens? The herd rushed down the steep bank and into the lake and drowned. Now we learn a couple things from this. First of all, we learn how bad this man's situation was. How dire his circumstances were. Mark's gospel records that there were about 2,000 pigs that were there herding and eating. And both accounts say that all of the pigs rushed down the hill into the water. Let me ask you, have any of you worked with pigs before? You don't have to be embarrassed. There's some on the back row right there. I've, I've worked with pigs before, right? Okay? It's no fun. I don't like it. It's not something I want to do again. They're very smart, but they're very stubborn. And you literally have to hit them. You have to do something to them to cause them, to force them to go where you want them to go. They're not dumb like sheep. Sheep, you lead them and they just kind of all, uh, right? And they just kind of follow each other uh, and just go wherever. We're going to go here. We're going to go there. We'll just all go together. Pigs don't do that. They don't follow each other. They don't go in the same direction that the other pigs go. They just do whatever they're going to do. They're brilliant. They're very smart animals. But that's significant as we see this because they all went into the water. And it reminds us of what we're told earlier in the text, that the name was Legion because there were many of them. Now, that's not necessarily telling us that there were 2,000 demons, but pigs don't respond the way these pigs did unless there's something forcing them to go. And so it is likely that there were many, many, many demons terrorizing this man. And they are cast out into these pigs and all of the pigs go into the water and are drowned. We also learn what the demons' intentions were with the man all along. Their intentions were to destroy him. The man lived among the tombs, it says. The demons would drive him there, would drive him into the desert. It would cause him to cut his body with stones. They desire physical and eternal destruction of man. That is what they desire. That is what they intend to bring about. And we see that made clear as they go into the pigs and immediately what happens, these pigs rush down the hill and into the water and they're destroyed. The demons destroy them. They didn't intend to get into the pigs and hang out for a while. They have the same intent there as they had with the man. They want to destroy. They want to destroy. We see that in Peter's letter in 1 Peter chapter 5. Verse 8, be sober-minded. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Not someone to hang out with, not someone to just play games with, someone to destroy. And that's clearly the purpose of these demons here, both in the man and in the pigs. They are always bent on destruction. 
Verses 34 and 35 go on. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told in the city and in the country. Now this, at this point, if you don't know the end of the text, could be incredibly hopeful, right? If you don't know what happens after this, you're like, this is going to be good, right? Revival is about to take place because they just saw Jesus do the supernatural, cast out all of these demons into these pigs. The pigs kill themselves because of the demons. And now they're going back to tell the whole city, the whole town is going to come out just like has been before. Jesus is going to proclaim the gospel. People are going to be saved. There's going to be revival. And this is going to be an awesome ending to this story. But that's not what happens. That's not what we see takes place. See, there's two very different responses between the man who was set free and the people of the city. The people of the city come and they see Jesus and they see this man and the drastic change in this man is just wonderful. They come and they see this man now sitting at the feet of Jesus. Can you imagine for this man who's been bound for years, blind for years. And he's sitting now at the feet of Jesus, listening to the teaching of Jesus. We can be sure Jesus, he came to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom. He is teaching this man the kingdom, the gospel. And here he is sitting at his feet. And so they come and they see this man sitting there at the feet of Jesus, the demons have gone. He's clothed now and he's in his right mind. But it doesn't say that the people are relieved. That this man has been delivered from the demons that have terrorized him and them. Can you imagine what it would have been like for the people of the city? Remember Mark 5, 5? He would night and day in the hills and in the mountains cry out, scream out these terrifying screams. Their children would have heard those screams. They would bind him and get him out of their city because of the things that he would be doing to terrorize the people of the city. They must have been terrified. Certainly the children of these people who live in the cities must have been terrified. But at no point do we see that they're relieved At no point do we see that they're thankful and happy that this is over with. It doesn't say they're happy for the man. It says that they were afraid, and that could be a good response if it's followed up by repentance and following Jesus, but it doesn't tell us they do that. The people who saw what happened told them as they're standing there how the man had been healed and still no joy. Rather, they ask Jesus to leave. They ask him to leave. Mark tells us that they told them what happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs, and they ask Jesus to leave. They preferred a demon-filled man terrorizing them than to the Son of God being with them. They're blind. They're blind. You look at that and you think, how in the world could they do that? Because they're blind. They are spiritually blind. 
They seem to be more concerned with their economic loss than with what they would gain in Christ because they're blind. It's a very sad and yet a very accurate commentary on man's fallen condition. Apart from Christ, we are completely blind, hopeless. Some of people will argue, well, if, if sinners could just see a powerful miracle, then they would believe. And we see from this text and other texts in the Gospels, that is just not true. Faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of Christ. They have seen a great miracle, but they're blind And so they ask Jesus to leave them. They don't want him. We don't want you here. Go. Go away from us. Leave us. But what a different response we see in this man who's been set free. It's beautiful. What's the difference? He can see, (laughs) he's not blind any longer. The Lord has worked in his heart and given him sight to see. And now he longs to be with Jesus, to sit at his feet and to go with him, to be with him. And so he asks, in verse 38, the man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with Jesus. I want to go with you. I want to be with you. Let me in the boat. Let me go where you're going. Let me be where you are at. Let me do what you guys are doing. I just want to be with you, Jesus. And what does Jesus say to him? No. No. You can't. Stay here. Sometimes Jesus says no to us even when we think what we are asking of him would glorify him most. He just wants to be with him. And Jesus says, no, remain here, stay here, go back home. Go back to your home and tell them what God has done for you. And what is incredible is this man doesn't lose any zeal over that command. He doesn't come to Jesus and say, I just want to be with you, Jesus. I just want to be with you. I want to be with you. I want to be with you. Take me with you. Let me be where you are at. And Jesus says, go and make disciples. And he loses no zeal. He doesn't hang his head. He doesn't doubt. He doesn't get upset. He doesn't say, well, that's not fair. They get to go with you. They seem to get an easier uh, plan than you've sent to me because what does Jesus ask him to do? We know what the people think in the city now. The text tells us what they think. They don't want Jesus. So Jesus says, no, you can't come with me. Go to the people who don't want me. The people who used to treat you in the same way, they cast you out and now they've cast me out. Go to those people and tell them what God has done for you. That is incredible. 
And to see his response and the zeal that continues in his heart because of what Jesus has done in his heart. Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. Now that is significant too. We see that this man understands something that's incredibly significant, right? Jesus says, go and tell them how much God has done for you. And he goes and tells them how much Jesus has done for him. He understands. He knows Jesus is God. And he goes joyfully proclaiming throughout the whole city. What a wonderful story this is. The Lord delivers a man and he goes and tells others. That's the pattern, isn't it? Jesus delivers and they go and tell. Jesus delivers and they go and tell. It's the pattern over and over and over and over. The details are certainly different, But the story is the same for those of us who are in Christ. Paul tells us that we were once following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. It's Ephesians 2. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. You have been awakened. You've been set free by grace. The same grace that was lavished on this man on the beach has been lavished on you if you are in Christ. It's by grace you've been saved. He's delivered us just as he's delivered this man. He's proven his love for us. And yes, certainly, we long to be with him. We want to be with him. We desire to be with Jesus. But we've been left with a mission. There is a calling. There's a mission that's been given to us. Jesus says in Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. We've seen that, right? All authority over the winds, all authority over the waves, all authority over the spiritual realm, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples, make followers of me, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe everything that I've commanded, with you, commanded you. And, and this, is the, this is the joyful, hopeful thing here. Yes, we want to be with Jesus. And this man, I want to be with you. And Jesus sends him, go and tell them what I have done for you. But he doesn't go alone. Because we have the promise in the Great Commission. And lo, behold, I am with you. I'm with you. We are together. I am with you. And as you go in obedience and as you go to the people, just as this man did, as you go to the people who don't want Jesus and may reject you just as they did this man, even as you go, Jesus says, I am with you. Just like this man, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.20, we are ambassadors for Christ. We're ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through 
us. What does that mean? Go and tell them how much God has done for you. Go and boast about him. Go and brag about him. Go and tell them about him. It's fascinating to me that the demons' continual shouts, because this isn't the only time we've seen a demon-possessed man in Luke so far. In chapter 4, you have uh, the man who has a demon, and demons are cast out, and they, they yell out, you are son of God. And again, after that, many have demons, and the demons are cast out, and they go out, you are the son of God. It's amazing, it's fascinating, it can be fascinating that the demons' continual shouts declaring that Jesus is the Son of God do not cause the people to believe because we know, we know if we look at John and we look what happens to all of this crowd at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, when you get to John 6, they all bail on him so that he turns to the disciples and says, you don't want to leave too, do you? So it could be it could be fascinating to us. We could be even amazed that with these demons crying out, you are the son of the most high God, that the people don't believe at that moment. But we ought not to be amazed. Because even Luke in, in chapter 8, verse 10, it tells us this is a gift to you, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. It is a gift. And people will not believe by the testimony of demons. They will believe when they hear the word of God and he opens their eyes and their minds to who he is. Faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of Christ. And we have been blessed and commissioned with that word. We are ambassadors for Christ to go and proclaim about the greatness of our king who has overcome sin and death and the kingdom of darkness. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness and your grace. Your love, Lord. Your love. You have proven your love for us, Father. And that while we were still sinners, blinded by the God of this world, just as this man in this text was blinded by the God of this world, you have proven your love for us and that while we were still sinners in that condition, Christ died for us. And we praise you. We're so grateful. We know that our salvation, if we are in Christ, it is because of grace. It is a gift It's been given to us. It's nothing we could earn. It's nothing we have earned. It's all because of you, Lord. And so help us, help us, Lord. I pray that you would help us, rid us of our self-centered minds and hearts. Help us like this man not to lose the zeal of our salvation Not to lessen in our affections for you, Lord, but to have our affections increased for you. That with zeal, we would see the command that you have given to us, this commission that you have given to us, and embrace it with joy, and even go to those who we know have said they don't want you in the hope of the power of your word and the authority of Jesus Christ. 
We pray in his name. Amen.